Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911. Good morning. Two man car, Jesse and Ruben. And we are 10 uh, 8. Jesse, good morning. How are you Report, doing this morning? Reporting for duty, Sarum 10 8. Hey, by the way, this I was up very early this morning. Because uh, I got to be on Fox and Friends with Peter Hegseth. The show starts at 6 a.m. over in the in uh, New York live. So it was on 3 a.m. here in Arizona. So I did get up at 2.30, uh, drive to the location. And I was they, they gave me a good un, 1 minute 17 seconds of uninterrupted airtime to speak to the whole nation of why Catholics should vote Republican. So we'll play that on the third segment, the beginning of the third segment, Ruben. Oh, nice. That's great, Jess. Uh, let's see. see that now what's happening is that this this platform that you have uh, been given, this that you've helped, you know, you've created, it's 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 spreading to other facets of uh, uh, you know of of life, and and because you know back when we started together back at the sheriff's department, you know. Your audience was uh, was the deputies you work with and some of the community. And now, you know, that's branched off. It's just how how big it's become, Justin. So I'm really proud of you. And uh, and keep up the good work, brother. All for Jesus, Ruben. And I just uh, thank God that I met you 30 years ago. And I just feel that uh, we've been uh, fighting in the trenches together. And I think we'll, we'll fight uh, until we drop dead. And you'll be at my funeral or I'll be at your funeral, one of the two. All right, I'll, you'll probably be at my funeral first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just want to mention that the month of November, November is dedicated to the holy souls in purgatory. So remember to pray for the, and remember they also pray for us as well. And remember, you don't have to be a canonized saint by the Catholic Church to be in heaven. There's probably, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of saints in heaven that nobody will ever know their name. So just don't forget to pray for the holy souls in purgatory. In fact, if you can, stop by a cemetery uh, and, and and do the rosary, provided you've already fulfilled all the other uh, the requirements for a plenary indulgence. You can gain a plenary indulgence every day. Two more things I just want to mention before we jump into the topic, Ruben. Mortgage rates hit 20-year high. Yeah, the average rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage top 7% for the first time in two decades this week under Joe Biden's administration. Also, uh, Elon Musk, he locks out Twitter engineers following his takeover of Twitter. Tesla CEO Elon Musk repeatedly froze the big tech company's software code, preventing Twitter's engineers from making further changes. And he ordered his own Tesla engineers to review the code and report back to him. The reports come after Musk fired top Twitter executives and had them promptly escorted out of the company's headquarters. That's good for us. Not so good for the left, Ruben. Yeah, that's good. That's uh. You've got the woke people that are just uh, shaking in their boots and it's screaming. They're screaming that, how could this happen? How, how, they're going to destroy democracy <laughs> as if uh, what they've been doing hasn't done that already. All we want is a level playing field. That's all we want. By the way, today's the feast day of St. Martin the Porres. Pray for us. Yes. Well, Ruben, let's jump right into the topic. The Synodal Way wants to reverse Catholic teaching on homosexuality. And uh, it, here's why it's impossible. 
the church, the church's teaching is unchangeable, by the way, just like God is unchangeable because the church's teachings come from God who's immutable and unchangeable. And so same sex behavior cannot be reconciled with human nature, natural law, because we've been created by God as a communion of male and female. The German synodal way, boy, Germany has been a problem since Luther and its allies within the church are hell-bent, seemingly more so every day, on changing Catholic doctrine regarding homosexuality. A leader of the Synodal Way, indeed, recently acknowledged that the heterodox initiative is intended as a direct challenge to the church's teaching on this issue. Ruben, these guys should get slapped with Canon 915 excommunication. Uh, these guys are trying to change what God has taught. These aren't men's teachings on homosexuality. This is what no. God has taught. This is far beyond a council, far beyond a catechism, far beyond a Pope statement. This is God who's taught this. Um, Mark Frings, the Secretary General of the Central Committee of German Catholics, a leading German lay uh, group and co-organizer of the Synodal Way, described the Synodal Way, frankly, as a conscious statement against the current Catholic catechism, which he complains has been, quote, critical and disparaging of homosexuality since the mid-1970s and still reproaches homosexuality as, as homosexual activity as sin, as the Catholic Church has done for two millennia. Ruben, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, he, then he he's got to take that up with Jesus, and you know, unbelievable man, Saint Paul in the in the, wow. in the New Testament. And Frings, uh, he also remarks his remarks were published last month by Outreach. Outreach is a new LGBT activism group founded by dissident Father James Martin. There's another one that should be excommunicated. Oh God! But he's doing it with the uh, you know the permission of the Pope. You know, absolutely. Pope took him up there to to the Vatican. That's embarrassing. And, it is. In his commentary, Frings uh, pushes the notion that the church can reverse its longstanding teaching about homosexuality, a teaching that the Catechism of the Catholic Church notes is deeply rooted in both sacred scripture and tradition. Uh, he says such a change in the position of the magisterium cannot take place in a local church, but it can give it an important impetus, Frings claims. For this reason, the Synodal Assembly in September will discuss a text that recommends that the Pope examine more precisely and reassess church doctrine on homosexuality. Jesse, it's my opinion that he doesn't have the power. I don't care who you are. Nobody yeah. has the power to abrogate what God has said. No, no Pope has the The Pope's the vicar of Christ, not the boss of Christ. Right. And his job is to just to, uh, to maintain the, the pass on what's been given to him already. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, Justin, this, I think this is why the synodal, this whole thing was started precisely for these dissident groups to come forward and try to uh, get their agendas uh, passed and uh, make, make it mainstream in the Catholic Church. And their big agenda, Ruben, is, is the normalization of homosexuality in Catholicism. Just like most of the Protestant dom denominations have caved in on this, the mm -hmm. left modernist Catholics want to make this normal and they want to abrogate what the catechism says. Well, you can get the catechism and change it like the Pope has already done on a few issues, but guess what you can't do it to? You can't do that to the Holy Bible. And as Catholics, we're just going to go to the Holy Bible and say, here's what God says. And that can't be abrogated by some printing press. Yeah. Uh, then the thing is, it says that uh, 
such a change in the position of the magisterium cannot take place. Oh, I, I read that. Uh, yeah. But uh, he says, um, the synodal assembly, which governs this, the synod way, already voted in February to advance several radical proposals challenging Catholic doctrine, including a document demanding reevaluation of the church's stance on homosexuality. And the document insists that the homosexual inclination is part of a man's identity as created by God and cannot be changed. Unbelievable. And, and that it's, it's ethically not to be judged by any differently than any other sexual orientation. Though research shows that the same sex orientation is not genetic and the church recognizes it is objectively disordered. Uh, I mean, you go back to the Sodom and Gomorrah. If, if God thought it was okay, then, uh, you know, then he's got to say, oh, he, he owes I, them an apology. I, I messed up. Yeah. He owes them an apology. <laughs> yeah. The, these people are even out, outside of step with science. I've read a lot of science scientists on this topic. Every single one of them says there is no gay gene. There is no d- yeah. genetic marker that makes somebody a homosexual or a lesbian. It's a, it's a choice that people make. Uh, Go ahead, Ruben. Jesse, that, that one doctor that was promoting it, it turned out that it was, he had an agenda. He was gay himself. There so, you go. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a gay. Uh, and, I, and I've read actually homosexual apologist doctors that have said the opposite. They're saying, no, there's no gay gene. It's something that we just choose ourselves. So yeah, the objective learn. Well, yeah, it's learned behavior. Just like anything, Ruben, all bad behaviors. Learn. I mean, we already have a, an inclination to sin called concupiscence because of the, the fall of Adam and Eve. Yeah. And the way it's affected us. And so all of us have a proclivity to some type of sin. But at the end of the day, Ruben, it's learned behavior. You know, somebody gives you your first joint. Somebody gives you your first beer. Somebody gives you your first snuff magazine. It's learned behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Jess. The recognition of the equality and legitimacy of non-heterosexual orientations, their practices and relationships as well as the elimination of discrimination based on sexual orientation is urgently required, states the proposal as quoted by Frings. Mark Frings, he's the secretary general of the Central Committee of German Catholics. This is a leading Catholic group of the the co-organizers of the Synodal Way. The Germans have been a problem, Ruben, ever since Martin Luther. Um, He says... Uh, Frings regurgitates much of the Synodal Way's anti-scientific LGBT propaganda, while also hinting at the initiative's broad ambitions. Frings says that the church must not merely create safe spaces for queerness, he demanded. But I can't even believe I'm reading this from a Catholic. I, I, I mean, what world am I in? He said, but, but the church must be transfor- transformed entirely in accordance with the dictates of the LGBTQ agenda. Are you kidding me? The church is supposed to be transformed by the dictates of Christ and his holy gospel. That's what I'm saying. He yeah. says, it is often heard that the church should enable safe spaces where queerness can be lived, free from discrimination and the pressure to justify itself. From my point of view, such safe spaces can only be an intermediate step. We'll continue talking about this incredibly demented uh, church leader. I think he's a lay person speaking on behalf of the German Synodal Way uh, Mafia. We'll be right back and just, just again, expose the errors. You have to expose the darkness uh, by the light of Christ. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't change that dial. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. Pray for the dead that they may be loose from their sins. Amen. Get that from 2nd Maccabees. And uh, this is a beautiful month, Jess, that we just honor this, the souls uh, that have gone, uh, that could be in purgatory. We, we just uh, pray for them. And, and I just want to shout out uh, to my father. Today's his 86th birthday. So, mm. um, you know, he's still going strong. Um, wow. <laughs> he, he, he's playing golf a couple times a week. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, that and not amazing. that he amazing. Yeah, I just got a new car, you know, so uh, he's uh, still he's still active, still a mentor of mine, still my, my you know, and I took him out to, uh, we went to breakfast or lunch yesterday with his brother, my uncle, and he's 83, he's going to be 84 soon, and so, uh, you know, just to hear them talking about the past, some of their stories, it's just amazing. Yeah. Ruben, that's oh. uh that generation of of, of men, uh, they're they're very special, and they've seen a lot. Your father has seen a lot in in eighty some odd years on planet Earth. He's yeah. seen the paradigm shift, and uh, your father's quite an accomplished man. I know he was a college professor. He's a college president. So you you had some you had some pretty big shoes to fill, Ruben. <laughs> that's true. That's true, man. That's why uh, you know I I. I owe a lot to him for the, the, the help forming me in, in, in my younger years. And, and even to this day, I mean, there's just so much respect that I have uh, just talking to him. Uh, That's I beautiful. What, just what, what a, yeah. What a beautiful relationship you have with your father. Ruben, and I, and I've seen that and uh, that's i uh, I'm sure you've carried that on to your kids as well. Yes, I try. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we're talking about, we're talking about the synodal way, the way they want to reverse Catholic teaching on homosexuality uh, and this is in Germany. These guys have been a problem for decades. De- you hear all the big liberal names, you know, in, in the Catholic Church. You'll hear like Karl Rahner and you'll hear, uh, you know, names like uh, s- uh, all the big names. They're, they're the German names. These guys, are the, these guys are the ones that started introducing what's called demythologizing into the Bible, the German theologians. That is, question the miracles, question everything supernatural. So the article, let's jump back to it. It says this. So it is only logical that the basic text of the responsible synodal form, that is the text that forms a theological framework around the more practical text on questions of sexuality and partnership, demands a clear readjustment. (laughs) Yeah, these guys, these modernists want to change the teachings of the Catholic Church on sexual morality. You know why? Because most of these guys are flaming homosexuals. That's why. Marxist homosexuals. The article says, In his quest to readjust the church to to align with homosexual ideology, uh, Friends, and by the way, for those of you just tuning in, who is this Mark Friends? He's the Secretary General of the Central Committee of German Catholics, which is a leading German lay group and a co-organizer of the Synodal Way. Okay, just a leftist, a lay Catholic leftist leader. It says, Friends has like-minded allies in the Catholic hierarchy. Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, a Jesuit, the Relator General of Pope Francis Synod on the Synodality, and a supporter of the Synodal Way. He asserted earlier this year that churches, the church's prohibition of sodomy is now false because the sociological scientific foundation of this teaching is no longer correct. Really? Adding that thinking further about the teaching can lead to a change in the teaching. Cardinal George Pell, one of the good guys that the left tried to put in prison, 
has described those comments as explicit heresy. God bless you, Cardinal Pell. Cardinal Hollerich, this leftist, nevertheless, nevertheless appeared once again to dismiss the teachings of sacred scripture on homosexuality this week while stressing that he is in full agreement with Pope Francis. So in other words, he's, getting, he's taking cover. He's saying, hey, you know what? Pope Francis got my back. And you know what? It's probably true. Yeah. Ruben? You know, Cardinal Pell, um, he, you know, he said that uh, the Catholic Church, unlike the Orthodox and Anglican communions, have an instrument, we believe, ordained by God, Peter the Rock. He, he says uh, the special role of the papacy is to maintain the purity of the apostolic tradition and to maintain the unity of the church around the tradition. So he says he's confident that the Holy, See, the Holy Father will speak, uh, and he has great confidence in the successor Peter, he said. I mean, I wish I felt sad. I wish I felt that uh, he's got more strongly by him uh, with this pope. Yeah, but he's saying he's trusting the Holy Spirit, you know, to not let the church fall into error. Um, yeah. So, Catholic teaching is definitive. Okay, let's uh, let's get that straight. It's even possible to it, is it even possible to change the way uh, the church, the way Fringe and Hollerich suggest, despite the incessant heretical demands of the synodal way and his backers, the Catholic Church, in fact cannot reverse its teaching against homosexuality, which is set in stone as any moral doctrine. And the church because has recognized... It, it, because it comes from God. It didn't come from a man or a counselor or a pope. This is impossible. But go ahead, Bruin. Yeah, yeah na natural law. you know. And uh, also, it says St. Paul condemned sodomy throughout his epistle, stating that those who practice it will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 just let me uh, let that uh, let this sink in and uh, the, let our uh, listeners hear this. Do you not know? This is what St. Paul says that wrongdoers will will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not deceive fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomy, sodomites. There it is, sodomites, thieves, the greedy drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. It's pretty clear right there, Jesse, that uh, yeah, what he's yeah. saying. Okay, so yep. the first, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. The first century Didache, or the teaching of the 12 apostles, was one of the oldest known Christian writings. Likewise, names sodomy as a grievous crime alongside adultery and murder against the second part of Jesus's great commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Jess, if I remember correctly, sodomy was a penal code violation, uh, you know, in not too distant past. You would could go to jail for, for you know, catching somebody in, 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 as a, a sodomizing somebody else. Uh, unbelievable, man. And then, the you know, the how LGBT. How far we have fallen, Ruben. How far we have fallen. Yeah, they have given, uh, you give them an inch, they take a foot. I mean, you know, they, they were just initially concerned with being able to get benefits for their, uh, you know, their uh, their that was a lot. That was a Trojan horse. Yeah. And now all that, that gay marriage. So uh, I'm going to yeah, yeah, jump right over where it says Cardinal Mueller. I'm going to go right. Okay. Yeah. Go, uh, go ahead. I mean, you got, you got Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger. Well, yeah, Card yeah, 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 you're right. We have to quote him. Cardinal Ratzinger, then the prefect of the congregation for the, for the doctrine of the faith noted in the congregation's 1986 letter on homosexuality that quote, constant tradition 
and organic continuity with the spiritual perspective underpin the church's teaching today, close quote, also invoking De Verbum, the Second Vatican's Council on Divine Revelation. The Catechism of the Catholic Church similarly insists, based on, on, on Scripture itself, here's what the Catechism says, which presents homosexual acts as acts of, depra- of grave depravity. Tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved, close quote. And as Father Philip Bochansky, head of Courage International, the largest church-approved ministry to same-sex-attracted individuals, has pointed out, the language used by the catechism signifies that Catholic teaching on homosexuality is infallible. Such an invocation of scripture, scripture and tradition is unusual in the catechism, he said, but appears often when the church explains the charism of infallibility. It's used here clearly, and it means that this teaching, which flows from the anthropological fact of the nature of sexed human bodies, is an infallible teaching of the ordinary universal magisterium, according to Father Bochansky. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, I've lost your... Go ahead, Jess. I've lost... Cardinal Mueller says, Nobody can change Catholic doctrine that homosexuality is a grave sin. Indeed, not even the Pope, whom the Synodal Way petitions to change Catholic doctrine, can contradict the Church's teaching on homosexuality or any other such settled matter. As the First Vatican Council declared, the Pope's not given authority to invent any new doctrine. The Holy Spirit was promised to the successors of Peter, not so that they might, by his revelation, make known some new doctrine, but that by his assistance, they might religiously guard and faithfully expound the revelation or deposit of faith transmitted by the apostles. The Second Vatican Council likewise affirmed that the teaching office of the church is not above the word of God, but serves it, teaching only what has been handed on, listening to it devoutly, guarding it scrupulously, and explaining it faithfully in accord with the divine commission. With the help of the Holy Spirit, it draws from this one deposit of faith everything which it presents for belief as divinely revealed, close quote. Yeah. Hey Jesse, uh, we're just not—we're not trying to be haters, you know. There, a lot of people we know, uh, you know, you, you know, law enforcement within our own families. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, but but we have to tell them the truth, and uh, we do it in love and charity. So uh, I know it's hard; it's a hard hearing be- teaching because it's it's we've gotten so widespread, and it's be- they've normalized it. You know, every TV show, every commercial has uh, you know a gay couple in there. They're just trying to throw it in your face and. Uh, so uh, let's go on. Same-sex behavior, moreover, is irreconcilably at odds with the nature of human persons created in the image of God as a fruitful union of male and female, as explained by both Scripture and Magisterium. As the CDF's 1986 letter notes, the necessary context in which to address this issue is the theology of creation found in Genesis, which clearly teaches that God creates man and woman specifically for each other, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So it's not good that the man should be alone. It says in Genesis, I will I will make my helper fit for him. The Lord declares in Genesis 1.18. This is the last 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Adam says, when he sees Eve in the catechism, describes as an exclamation of love and communion. Uh, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. They become one flesh. Genesis explains, uh, Jesus cites the same passage in Matthew's gospel as the basis for the indissolubility of uh, marriage. So they are no longer two, but one, he says. Faithful to scripture, the Catholic Church recognizes that God calls man and woman to fulfillment in one another. The catechism references Genesis affirms God created man, woman together, and will willed each of the other for the other and intended them to be a communion of persons in which each can be a helpmate to help and complementary as masculine and feminine. Um, the uh, let, let's just drop down a little bit. I think we're yeah. running out of time. Yeah. yeah, drop down where it says homosexual unions and the homosexual unions are also totally lacking in the conjugal dimension, which represents a human and ordered ordered form of sexuality, states another 2003 document from the CDF. See, that's the difference. Men and women sexual relationships are ordered. Homosexual relationships are disordered. Disorder. That's the key right there. We'll be right back. Jesus 911 two man car. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus. Amen. That's he's a, the only so, way. He's not the privileged way. Somebody right. said he's a privileged way in the church. That's wrong. He's the only way to the Father. He's the unique way. He's the door to heaven. By the way, I want to put a one minute, 17 second clip. This morning I was on Fox and Friends and they were asking me about the Catholic vote. So, Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? What big issues are you talking about that are important to you? Pete, I'm part of Catholics for Cary. I'm part of uh, Latinos for Cary and I'm part of Cops for Cary. On the Cops for Cary, I don't know one street cop, any line cop, that's going for the Democrats with this whole defund the police nonsense. I got two sons that are working the streets right now, one in Kansas, one in, in Phoenix. Night watch street cops. They, they took after me, after dad. Every line cop is voting for Kerry and the Republican Party because we want to fund our police. Number two, Latinos. In the Latino soul, we're conservative. We believe in faith, family, freedom, hard work. When you talk to any Hispanic and you line up the two platforms, they say, hey, I'm a Republican. Number three, on the Catholic side, so I got three hats. On the Catholic vote, the church has given us a criteria of five things called the five non-negotiables. Said, you cannot cross these lines. When you look at the Democrat and the Republican Party platform, the Republican Party platform is congruent with Catholic moral teaching on family and life. The Democrat Party violates all five non-negotiables. You cannot be a Catholic and a Democrat. That was it. <laughs> Powerful, Jess. Three, three. I just made three quick, quick points. You know, they got it. You got like a minute to say something. So, again, as a Catholic, I can't vote for the Democrats. As a Latino. Culturally, I can't vote for the Democrats. And as a retired cop, 
uh, this is the this is the defund the police party. I can't vote for the Democrats. Strike one, strike two, strike three. <laughs> yeah, did it was it did it seem like it was well received? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I was in I was in in a in a it, it was in a restaurant. It was it, it was in a it was a breakfast nook and it was packed, and uh, yeah, everybody was there was on the right side of the issues. Mm. I had my big old Saint Benedict's crucifix outside of my neck. My Saint my my miraculous medal. Still. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that made it on Fox and Friends, the St. Benedict's Medal. Yeah. Hey, let's go uh, back to the, the article, Ruben. Just wrap it up on the bottom where it says the need to defend the family. That's the meat of it. Okay. Um, the need to defend the family as heterodox forces inside the church increasingly push for extreme distortions of sexuality. Faithful Catholics have an ever greater obligation to defend the sanctity of the family, which the church affirms is the strong in strongest terms. Quote, from the wedlock of Christians, there comes the family in which new citizens of human society are born, who are, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, received in baptism, are made children of God, thus perpetuating the peace of God through the century. The family is, so to speak, the domestic church, states the Second Vatican Council's pastoral constitution, Gaudium Ebspes. It is a community of faith, hope, and charity. It assumes singular importance in the church, as is evident in the New Testament, the catechism teaches the, the Christian family is a communion of, of persons, a sign and an image of the communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the procreation and education of the of children, it reflects the Father's work of creation. And what St. John Paul II declared 40 years ago is surely no less true today. Quote, the first future of humanity passes by way of the family. It is therefore indispensable and urgent that every person of goodwill should endeavor to save and foster the values and requirements of the family. Amen. Uh, yeah. Let me just mention two points that the article makes on the on the medical side. So this is not a faith issue on the medical side of homosexuality. And uh, it's right above where Ruben just shared. It says, the recent monkey monkeypox outbreak <laughs> underscores the, the consequences of grave sin, which LGBT activists demand society ignores. Yeah. Practicing homosexuals face a nearly 30 times higher risk of HIV and an 80 times higher rate of anal cancer, as well as elevated risks of other cancers and STDs. And then lastly, it says the sexually active homosexual population suffers disproportionately from HIV, anal cancer, chlamydia, trachomatis, cryptosporidium, Microsporidia, gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, hepatitis B, and C, genital warts, scabies, HPV, and other conditions. Catholic pro-family organizations, uh, Fieles a la Verdad, Faith to the Truth, has observed, quote, as a result, the average life expectancy of sexually active homosexual males is reduced by many years. So mm. that's on the medical side. Ruben, let's jump into another topic about valor and bravery, and the way there's valor, there's hope. This is this good article, Jesse. Very uh, uh, j- jump into it. Let's go. Um, so it's the article starts off by uh, talking about Maximilian Kolbe that October 10th, 1982, uh, Saint John Paul II canonized him. He was a hero of Auschwitz, he who called a martyr of charity. He's called that. Father Kolbe had been arrested by the Nazis, sent to the infamous concentration camp for housing Polish refugees, most of them Jews. In July of 1941, he voluntarily stepped forward 
to take the place of a younger married father who was selected by the camp guards to be sent to the starvation bunker. Father Colby, his, uh, his selfless act eventually led to the man being reunited with his wife at the end of the war. His heroic and selfless act of valor has not only been praised by the church, others too have recognized him a giant of a man. A website which chronicles some of the history of the Auschwitz camp states, quote, Father Colby's incredible deed is an inspiration for all mankind. His life serves as a eulogy to the millions who perished in World War II. He did not leave his legacy as an ode to the past, rather as a beacon of hope to the future. The oh, church, who ce- yeah, the church who celebrates his feast on the 14th of August acknowledges the greatness of this man's love in her liturgy. Here's what the church says on that day, quote, O God, who filled the priest and martyr St. Maximilian Colby with a burning love for the Immaculate Virgin Mary and with zeal for souls and love of neighbor, graciously grant through his intercession that striving for your glory be, by eagerly serving others, we may be tra- conformed even unto death to your son. Amen. Father Colby demonstrated an astounding conformity to the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, through which we can learn important lessons about the universal call of the Christian soul to love heroically. By the way, that's how you get to heaven. When the church starts opening up a case of canonization, the criteria is, did the person demonstrate heroic virtue? Virtue. That's the criteria. And boy, oh boy, he had it in spades. It says, this hope can, this hope can inspire and raise up those who are bowed down. This hope emerges when people perceive in the sufferings and sacrifices of others, or even in their own, a love and a passion for truth, beauty, and goodness that proves that there is something more, something beyond suffering that is both worldly and transcendent to hope for. Even in the transcendence that Christ's Paschal mystery points to, the eternal joy of heaven is not perceivably evident to people through suffering, we can still acknowledge that the glory that is hidden in the very suffering of Christ can be, eb- can be evident and leading to an inspiring hope. A hope such as this, even when not explicitly pointing to Christ and the victory of His resurrection, can still lead others towards it, albeit in a hidden way. This is because of the universality of the human heart's draw towards a love that is stronger than the power of evil. Mm. The scripture verse that perhaps best describes the ultimate act of valor of the martyrs of charity can be found in the 15th chapter of John's gospel spoken by Christ to his apostles the night before laying down his life for mankind. It's in John 15, 13. Our Lord said, our blessed Lord says this, quote, greater love, has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, close quote. Throughout the history of the church, and indeed of humanity, there have been those who have laid down their lives so that others may live, just as Father Colby did that July, that July day, seven decades ago. Uh, Father Colby, pray for us. Just a couple of big saints that that talk about suffering. Like St. John of the Cross, he says, The road is narrow. He who wishes to travel it more easily must cast off all things and use the cross as his cane. In other words, he must be truly resolved to suffer willingly for the love of God in all things. And the the little flower, St. Teresa Rousseau, she said, I always want to see you behaving. She's talking to her novices, uh, the novice, the the new nuns that were coming in. 
I always want to see you behaving like a brave soldier who does not complain about his own suffering, but takes his comrades' wounds seriously and treats his own as nothing but scratches. So um, we move on to another hero, someone with valor. It's uh, Petty Officer Michael Anthony Mansour. He's an example of a young Catholic who lived his great love to the very end. Michael was a 25-year-old U.S. Navy SEAL who, during a firefight with insurgent forces in Ar-Ramadi, Iraq, was tasked with providing protection for a sniper element on a rooftop. On September 29, 2006, the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel, by the way, the young SEAL's patron saint. What occurred next is best narrated by the official citation for the Medal of Honor, which was posthumously bestowed on the young SEAL for his valor. <clears throat> it's, it, it's quoting the, the, um, the letter. It says, the citation says, as enemy activity. Hold it right there. He's got okay. a minute left. Okay. This story is so good. What Ruben's going to share with you, he's going to read the letter on the next segment. But you, th- this is what happens in the Catholic soul when somebody's living in a state of sanctifying grace. You're going to see what Ruben's going to describe from this petty officer, Mansoor, a Navy SEAL. You're going to see what. What a, what a person in a state of grace is capable of accomplishing because one of the things that the devil does, he attacks us, our emotions through fear and he shuts us down to fear. You're going to see a young man of faith right now of unwavering faith. And I'm telling you, uh, uh, even though he's not being canonized, uh, I have no doubt, Ruben, that the altars of heaven uh, have his name on it. And you'll mm. see why in the next segment. Stick around. Jesus 911. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, Dial 888-526-2151. If God sends you many sufferings, it's a sign he has great plans for you and certainly wants to make you a saint. So says St. Ignatius of Loyola. Jesse, we're talking about this uh, Chief Petty Officer uh, Michael Mansour, Navy SEAL, who was uh, who lost his life in Iraq. And uh, in the, he got the Medal of Honor and it was uh, placed on him uh, I, well, given to his parents um, by then President George Bush, and the the citation reads this. Uh, and by the way, this this is a local young guy. He was from Garden Grove. Went to Garden Grove High School. Oh, wow. Was an athlete. Yeah, he was local. And um, so he says, as enemy as enemy activity increased, Petty Officer Mansoor took position with his machine gun between two teammates on an outcropping of the roof. While the SEALs vigilantly watched for enemy activity, an insurgent threw a hand grenade from an unseen location, which bounced off Petty Officer Mansoor's chest and landed in front of him. Although he could could have escaped the blast, Petty Officer Mansoor chose instead to protect his teammates. Instantly, and without regard for his own safety, he threw himself onto the grenade to absorb the force of the explosion with his body, saving the lives of his two teammates. By his undaunted courage, fighting spirit, and unwavering devotion to duty in the face of certain death, Petty Officer Mansoor gallantly gave his life. 
for his country, thereby reflecting great credit upon himself and upholding the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Wow, Etern amazing. Eternal, eternal rest grant unto Petty Officer Monsieur Lord and let your perpetual light shine upon him. May the soul of Michael Anthony Monsieur, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll attach it to the show page, but I, I, uh, I looked them up. It, it was uh, there's a little eight minute YouTube video uh, with some of the guys he saved and they're talking and they're describing it. They put a little, uh, you know, graphic of, of how, how it occurred that, you know, they drew a diagram of the rooftop and everything. And uh, it, it, they they also, Jesse, they named a battleship after him. Uh, the Zumwalt class destroyer is now the U.S. Michael Mansour. It's named in his honor. So it's a very, uh, if, you, if you see it, it's it's a high tech, you know, a battleship that's out there and it's going to go on, live on. His memory is going to carry on. And, and you hear his teammates who talk in such high esteem of this guy. And uh, well, you know, he's deserving of it. That's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Let's go on, Jess. Yeah, it says Michael's heroism has influenced the lives of new, numerous American youth, showing them the true meaning of love, that to be real, it has to be ready and even willing for sacrifice. The love that he showed for his brothers is the same love that Christ showed for us. His story has been told at youth retreats and in high school classrooms, sometimes eliciting awestruck tears at the magnitude of the selflessness that he exhibited that September day 16 years ago. Young men have been taken aback by it, relating that they had never thought of love in that sense. It is safe to say that examples such as these prove that even within the darkness of suffering and death, people can perceive a light also. They perceive not so much the defeat of life and of love, but rather victory. The victory of life over death, of love over hatred. That's why Jesus Christ and King David said, or St. Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Mocking death that for those that believe in Christ, death is just a transition uh, to our real birthplace, our real citizenship, our real birthright, which is heaven. Mm -hmm. It says both Father Colby and Michael Mansour understood something profound that Christ called to love others as he loves us. Indeed, not everyone is confronted with the life or death decision that these two martyrs of charity were. Yet all people can learn the magnitude of love that we're all called to. We may not be called to literally die for our spouse or child or friend, but we are always called to love them with a self-sacrificing love. Go ahead, Ruben, finish it off. So the understanding that suffering and sacrifice can have a transcendent character is so sorely needed in our world today. When people see someone who suffers with fortitude, patience, and endurance, someone who suffers for the sake of another, someone who sacrifices everything to save another's life, they're forced into an encounter with the transcendent mystery that cannot that they cannot describe. So even in the midst of suffering, a hope can enter in. The star of hope has risen. The anchor of the heart reaches the very throne of God. Instead of evil being unleashed within man, the light shines victorious. Suffering without ceasing to be suffering becomes, despite everything, a hymn of praise. Praise God. Uh, and, uh, yes. Michael Mansour. You know, it's uh, th this guy, he, uh, this guy was a, a man among men. And he, they, when you, you hear his, his teammates talking about him, the guy was walking around with a uh, MK-48 machine gun that he could protect his platoon from the frontal enemy attack. He was walking right behind the, the guy at the point of the spear. And um, 
He carried a rucksack full of communications equipment in addition to his machine gun and full ammunition loadout. Collectively, it weighed more than 100 pounds. He bore the weight without a single complaint, even in the midst of 130-degree western Iraqi summer. Man, we cry when it's, you know, oh, it's 90 degrees over here. I can't take it. Let's turn the air conditioning on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ruben, I can just imagine what was burned in his heart. Uh, it was It was probably... Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the word of God in a time like that. That's what gets you through. Or probably uh, Romans 8.31, this is probably burning his heart. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, it's those promises of God that make, make mice into men, that make puppies into lions. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt once said the following about bravery. He said this far. He said far better. It is to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the great twilight that knows not neither victory nor defeat. In other words, Ruben, People that just don't dare to step out of their comfort zone. Uh, they're just wandering generalities. They're just tumbleweeds. But people like, again, uh, Father Maximilian Colby, like uh, Petty Officer Mansoor, these people, their names will be echoed in eternity, like King Leonidas said. He said about his the Spartans, he said, for those of you that will fight the Persians, your names will echo in eternity. And that's exactly, we will talk about St. Maximilian Colby until the second coming of Christ. And we'll probably talk about the bravery of Petty Officer Mansoor until the second uh, coming of Christ. Because that's exactly what Christ wants burned in the heart of every man. Chivalry yep. and courage. Yes, Jess. And... Uh... There's a, it says that uh, he carried himself, his, his teammates said that he carried himself in a calm and composed fashion. He constantly led charge the charge to bring the fight to the enemy. His teammates recall his sense of loyalty to God, family, and his team. And he attended Catholic Mass devotionally before operations. He often spoke lovingly of his family, his older brother, a police officer, and a former Marine for whom he held great respect. His sister, a nurse, his younger brother, a college football player. And he was, they say that Mike was one of the, the, the bravest men on the battlefield, never allowing the enemy to discourage him. He remained fearless while facing constant danger and through his selfless nature and aggressive actions, saved the lives of coalition soldiers and his fellow SEALs. He was a loyal friend and an exceptional SEAL. He is sorely missed by the brothers in task unit Bravo. So uh, Michael Monsoor, rest in peace. Yes. So. I love to hear stories like that, Jesse, because we, you know, um, with Christ, we all have that ability to live as, uh, to, to, to do these kind of things, you know, when, right. But we have, he, he can strengthen us. God, you know, like it says, you know, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. Now, you know, the ordinary citizen was just probably, Oh, I'd never do that. You know, they're going to run from this. They're going to just like, uh, you know, the, uh, at uh, 9-11, you know, September 11th. Uh, Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer. Yeah, or people running, uh, the, the heroes are running into the, the collapsing buildings and the, and, and uh, everybody else is running away. Oh, yeah. I'm talking so, about the co- the cops and the firemen in New York. Yes. 
So. Yeah, but uh, and, and specifically, Ruben, the hijacked plane, uh, Flight 93, mm-hmm. the flight that was flying into the world, you know, that, that was flying into, uh, they wanted to crash it into the White House as a terrorist weapon. And yeah, Todd Beamer, he made a phone call and he told the operator, he says, hey, they're hijacking the plane. And, and uh, and you know, him and the operator, they're talking and he they just said, the operator said, let's say in our father. And so they they prayed. And then he told the operator uh, to tell his two children and his wife, Lisa, who were expecting, who were expecting the ch- third child, that he loved them. Then he hung up and uh, he said, before the operator said, he said, God help me. Jesus help me. And then he said, are you ready? Let's roll. Then he hung up. Okay. Todd Beamer is another man who gave his life as a sacrifice so that other people could live. This is what John 15, 13 is all about. There is no greater love than this, that a man should sacrifice his life for another. And what gives a man that kind of courage? I would argue it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his Holy Spirit in us. It's the promises of Jesus Christ of eternal life. And again, Father Maximilian Colby, uh, Petty Officer Mansoor, uh, Todd Beamer. These men, Ruben, their, their names will be echoed in eternity because they left a legacy a legacy of valor, of courage, of faith and hope to the rest of us here on planet Earth. And uh, they just they just stand as iconic symbols for men today. Mm. Yeah, this, this this pumps me up, Jesse. This pumps yeah. me up. And, you know, when we uh, when we were you know, I, t- I used to talk to my my fireman friends and this and man, I, I don't know how you guys used to do, you know, would run into houses with guys with guns. And I said, I don't know how you run into houses with that were on fire, you know, but that's what we were trained for. And so we looked forward to those kind of calls, you know, where, Oh man, it's a, it's a robbery in progress now, or it's a, it's a shooting. Now we, 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 we would go right into it without hesitation. I mean, it wasn't that we didn't fear. It's just that we didn't let the fear paralyze us. And um, we kept, yeah. you know, moving forward. And, you know, and those of us who had the faith, you know, we had that, that, it was, it's not like this invincibility because we know they could kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Mm-hmm. And we know what, what our future holds for us if we stay grounded in Christ and we, we finish the race. So uh, I think we're coming up to the end of the show, Jesse. And uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's hope that the, uh, the rest of the month, you know, you're dedicated to the month of the Holy Soul. So let's, let's keep them in our prayers. And, um, and keep you know, praying get, your rosary every day. Don't stop. Don't stop till you drop dead. Praying the rosary every day, living in a state of grace. By the way, if you like what you heard, you can share the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio or our YouTube channel, Full Sheen Ahead. Share these programs with your friends and evangelize everybody that you love. Ruben, take it away. Thank you for listening. Jesus 911. Stay tuned for Hands On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda from the Midwest Command Center. Gary's always got some tremendous guests on him, so on his show. We'll see you out. We're out in the watch. 10-7. Out.